0: slash conference. I hope to see you there. Hey, podcast listeners. I wanted to let you know that I'm hosting a very special virtual summit coming up soon. It's called the Own Your Career Virtual Summit, and it's going to be happening November 2nd through 4th. We've got 15 amazing speakers lined up, including Dory Clark, Laura Gassner-Odding, Julie Winkle-Giulioni, Christine DiDonato, and many other great authors and speakers in the career and personal development space, all with the goal of helping you up your game and truly own your career and prepare for the future. The summit is free to register. All you have to do is go to ownyourcareersummit.com. You can register for free and then there will be some upgrade options if you want to join some of our live Q&A sessions and even get access to the Own Your Career online course. But you can also register for free and watch and listen to all of our sessions on how to own your career. It's going to be phenomenal. And again, you can register for free by going to ownyourcareersummit.com. Thank you again for listening and now on to the episode.
1: Each week, Andy shares interviews with talent development professionals, thought leaders, and experts to share best practices, learn about the latest trends, and find out what has been successful in the world of talent development. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch.
0: Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today. I've got a hot Topic for you. Have you heard of neurodiversity? And if you have, have you dived into this topic at all to learn about neurodiversity? Well, I just heard the term neurodiversity for the first time probably about four or five months ago from a friend of mine who has ADHD. And I put it in the back of my mind, but I hadn't heard anything else about it until recently. I had a conversation with our guest today, who is a member of our talent development think tank community. And she mentioned she was doing a lot of speaking and coaching and consulting in this space. And I was excited to learn more and get her on the podcast. She also told me she was diagnosed with autism at age 39, which is what got her really interested in this idea of neurodiversity and the fact that about 30% of our population learns things differently. And this is most commonly shows up as autism, ADHD, or dyslexia, but there are other forms as well. And these are people who are highly skilled and and can function in many ways, like the rest of us, the typical neurotypical, I guess, as uh, Jessica calls it. But they operate a little bit differently around people and learn differently as well. And if we're not accounting for... The fact that people learn differently, after all, we are in talent development, learning and development, then we might be alienating 30% of our population, 30% of our learners. And so this was eye-opening for me, and our guest today shares a lot of great information on this subject, so I can't wait for you to hear it. Our guest today is Jessica Michaels, and Jessica spent 20 years of her career hearing, you're meeting your goals, but you're still failing. At 39, she got the diagnosis that explained everything. She now is a neurodiversity coach, consultant, and educator offering support for neurodiverse adults with workplace and career challenges and also helps employers create neurodiversity programs within their organizations. Jessica is currently serving as the talent development partner at Adobe, and she is an expert in this space of neurodiversity. And I'm excited to share all of that knowledge with you today because I ask the questions that might be on your mind. As you know from listening to my podcast in the past, or you've been listening for a while, I don't really like to hold back or like pretend that I know things. If I don't know something, I'm going to ask about it because I assume if I don't know something, other people probably don't know about it as well. And so we're really going to dive in, including questions about what does neurodiversity mean? What does it mean to be autistic? What does it feel like to be autistic? Um, how does that show up in people? It shows up differently between women and men. How is it diagnosed? And we talk about all that stuff and it was really fascinating for me so I think you're gonna enjoy this interview. I think it's something that we all need to be aware of just as we do for any other levels and elements of diversity so that we can all create more inclusive cultures and a more inclusive workplace. Before we get into the interview, I wanna remind you that our podcast is sponsored by the Talent Development Think Tank. The Talent Development Think Tank is the place to go if you work in talent development, to connect with others in the talent development space hear great speakers like Jessica and others that we've had on this podcast and really connect with people and talk with them about what's going on in their world in talent development. You don't have to do this alone. We are building a community to connect people and help people in their work in talent development. You can find out more information by going to our website, tdtt.us. That's tdtt.us. And our podcast is also sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is a professional services firm dedicated to providing a continuous of creative learning and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. And you can find out more information about Advantage and get all the information on our podcast by going to talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. That's talentdevelopmenthotseat.com, and you can click on free resources. You can click on all the information. There's a bunch of different menus to find out all the great stuff that Advantage does. All right, without further ado, I'm gonna take you now to my conversation with Jessica Michaels, all about neurodiversity. Enjoy. All right, I am joined now by Jessica Michaels, who is talent development partner at Adobe and also a neurodiversity speaker, coach, and consultant. And I'm really excited, Jessica, to have you on here today and dig into this topic of neurodiversity. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, so great to have you on. You and I have gotten to know each other a little bit over the last few months. I think we originally connected on LinkedIn and you joined the Talent Development Think Tank community and been on some of our calls. And as we talked more, I learned recently that you were not only really passionate about this subject of neurodiversity, but also someone who's out speaking and consulting and coaching with others. And, you know, as I told you, to be honest, I'm, I'm pretty new to this topic, as I'm sure a lot of other people are as well. So I'm excited to dig into it. Before we do, I'd love to start with a little bit of your background. You know, how did you get into learning and development and and what are you doing in your career today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, started in sales many years ago, um, back before the internet, when we were still like prospecting out of phone books, I quickly found that even though sales was great, what I really liked doing was helping other people close deals. And that was when I learned that I had a a love of training and helping other people like more so than having my own success was helping other people be successful. And so from that point, every job I had, I... Made training an element of it, whether or not was it was in the job description. Um, whether I was training, you know, new people or going to other locations in training, whatever it was, that's that's what I did. And uh, and then I was able to eventually have somebody take a chance on me as a trainer, a corporate trainer. Um, and so I started off training in sales, and um, eventually built a sales training team. And then I started to work also with professionals, uh, young professionals who were the first in their families to go to college, and working with them on um, you know professionalism and, and job interviewing and things like that. Um, which then, when I started to move into learning and development, I got to then take all of those pieces, you know, kind of the the HR background, the training background, even some of the sales elements, and parlay those into um, what I'm doing now, which is leadership development and manager development. And it's just an opportunity to use kind of bits of each of those former careers, you know, and and infuse them into my L&D because I'm able to identify with the people that are on the other end of the training. Um, in a visceral way, (laughs) more so than I think, you know, somebody who's coming at it from just a design point of view, I'm able to say I sat in that chair. um, And here's what I needed or would have really benefited from. And so it's a good marriage often between me and then some of the people who have a more academic background, and we're able to create some really good stuff that way.
0: Yeah. You know, I come at it from a consulting standpoint, but I've been creating and running training programs, different types for over 10 years. And and one thing I've noticed, especially with a sales audience is you get up in front of a sales audience and you're trying to teach them something and you don't have any sales experience yourself. Hmm. They can often sniff that out pretty quickly and you alive.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) You
0: don't have nearly as much credibility. They want to know, have you actually done this? And so it's great Mm -hmm. when you, when you have.
1: Mm-hmm. And they really want to know why, you know, you have to be so careful with the sales audience, because you have to justify taking them away from revenue generating activity. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to do that, you better have a good reason. And that reason better not be all oh, because everybody has to do this training, like, right. you really need to, to start with that why and have a, a really strong what's in it for me. Um, and that is an element that you know, We know that we need to provide an L&D, but when you can emphasize how strong that needs to be, yeah. then it, it makes the material that we put in front of those audiences a little bit better. more.
0: Yeah, like you said, we, we should have that why and justification for everyone, why we're taking them away from their regular work, why it's important to attend this training. But especially, I agree with salespeople, they ask the question, and especially their bosses ask the question, why are you taking my people out of the field? They could be out closing deals or opening new deals, bringing in revenue for this company instead of spending time in the classroom, which is costing us money. So why is it worth it? Yes. So you you started in sales and you got into training and learning and development. Along the way, you developed this interest and passion for neurodiversity. Tell me, how did that come about?
1: Yeah, so my whole career, I would have meetings that went like this. You know, I would be expecting a raise or a promotion because I was a good individual performer. And then I would meet with my manager who would say, look, you're meeting all your business goals, but we can't promote you. Or you are still in in some kind of jeopardy because you don't get along with people. And that baffled me. Mm. I did not understand. And that happened when I was going from an individual contributor to like a senior individual contributor. That happened to me when I got promoted into management. And, you know, I would feel one way about my team and I would be looking out for their development and all these things. And they would have such a stark difference in opinion as to what I was communicating versus what they felt like I was communicating or Mm. um, I was feeling different than they were interpreting, you know, that I was feeling. And it happened over and over and over. And I attended every training you could attend. I have single-handedly, I think, supported the self-help book industry because (laughs) I bought every business book and every self-help book. And I would understand all this stuff conceptually. Right. But what I couldn't do was operationalize it. I couldn't put it into practice and I didn't know why. And this is, is,
0: sorry to interrupt to clarify, this is how you are interacting and communicating with people. Mm -hmm. You think, hey, I'm giving you this information. I'm doing what this book says. I'm leading you in this way, Um, but they are not receiving it or interpreting it the way that you think they would be based on how you're saying it.
1: Exactly. And so when I was, I think, 39, um, my husband one day said, hey, you should take this online thing. Hmm. I didn't know what it was, but I I, I did. And it was um, an autism assessment. And like the cutoff score for when you needed, when they said you need to go see a psychologist was like a 30 and my score was like a 45. So Hmm. it was like, oh, oh, this could be a thing. And so I um, eventually was diagnosed with autism and ADHD. And suddenly everything made sense. It was like my whole career, I had been speaking with an alphabet that had 26 letters, but everybody else's had 52, you know, and so there was just, it just really brought to light why all of these things were were happening and I was having these difficulties and my first reaction was great now I'm going to fix it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a trainer. I believe in training. Right. I'm gonna this fix all of these things. Yeah, it's easy peasy, right? I'm gonna take care of it. Um, the and then, yeah, I, I got an executive coach. I spent a lot of money on a lot of, you know, a lot of resources. Uh, and then I got my first 360 review after doing all that, and all of the same feedback that I had had oh. my whole career was still there because neurodiversity means your brain processes information differently than. The majority of the world, they estimate about 30% of the people on the planet have brains that process this information differently compared to the rest of the 70%. And those aren't things you can change. You know, that's where people kind of run into a challenge because it's like, well, if you communicate in a way where you're too direct, just be less direct. Be it's less like, direct, okay, be more subtle. Yeah. It just, it doesn't work that way. Hmm. The other thing I realized too, is that you know the, the main conditions that people think of when they think of neurodiversity tend to be autism, ADHD, and dyslexia. There are hmm. others, but those are the big ones. Right. And those are all diagnosed and described by how an outside person would observe those conditions in you. Hmm. They don't have anything to do with how the neurodiverse person actually experiences them. And it isn't just dyslexia is about reading and adhd is about hyperactivity it these are these conditions affect the way that your body takes in information everything from words and things that you read but also things that you hear that you smell that you feel with your your skin it affects your emotion it affects your executive function you know your ability to do any task you know to get up and turn on a, a light switch it affects everything Hmm. and that's what people don't understand because they have no reason to but it affects so much goes into that little statement of you know how you process information because it's everything that you say and everything that you hear and everything that you feel and everything that you think Hmm. and what's tough about that in a learning and development capacity is we specialize in information transfer and behavior change And if we're not thinking about the fact that 30% of our audience potentially processes information differently, if we just go through our old tried and true uh, tactics of training people, we not only don't train that audience effectively, but we alienate them because Mm -hmm. we put them in an environment where they're hearing, okay, I need to do this one thing to be successful and this is something I can't do therefore I can't be successful. Or it's, you know, I know I'm sitting through this EQ session again and I understand it but I can't do it.
0: Right.
1: You know, and so it's it's not just a question of are we missing these people it's like we're damaging these people and mm. it's hard for me to say that because I have done this <laughs> you right. know, I've written those trainings I've delivered those trainings yeah. um, and so it really became important to me then to take my own experience and use that to help others especially with adult learning expertise you know there's this combination of of those factors so that's kind of how that became a, a passion project for me
0: For over three years now, the Talent Development Hot Seat podcast has been proudly sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage Performance Group provides creative learning and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps leaders lead, sellers sell, and businesses flourish, and you to be more successful at your job. The Advantage website has great free resources, including this podcast and an amazing webinar series that include topics such as innovation, future storming, inclusion, sales, leadership, and so much more. To get access to all of our free resources, as well as overviews of the solutions that Advantage offers, just head on over to AdvantagePerformance.com. That's AdvantagePerformance.com. Now, I'm glad you're bringing this to light and I've been hearing more about this and that we're able to do this interview because obviously over the last couple of years, there's been a much bigger focus on diversity, equity and inclusion than there has been historically. A uh, much of that conversation has been about race, which is rightly so, as well as gender and age and some of these other obvious factors. Mm-hmm. This is one that most people don't think about. And as you said, you've got upwards of 30% of the population that is learning differently, interpreting things differently and if you're not considering them not only are you kind of leaving them out as you mentioned you might be alienating them thinking well i'm not included in this culture i don't fit in here and i might want to go somewhere else and those people other than maybe learning differently have tons of skills right that they bring to the table and you obviously want to be able to take advantage of those
1: absolutely you know and it's there's a couple of things too when we think of affecting this 30% well Neurodiverse people are categorized that way because they have a certain, like they have a number of symptoms that affect their, the essential functions of their life drastically. But these disorders, which is a word I hate to use, but you know, these disorders, the, the traits that make up these disorders are traits that neurotypical people still have, just not and the degree or the frequency or the severity right. for it to be something that affects their whole life. So for example, being an introvert. Um, being an introvert there's a lot of people that are introverts are no, it's all like introverts
0: 50-50 in society, right? Yeah.
1: Exactly. Not all introverts are neurodiverse, but if you look at your training in a way that helps Neurodiverse people who have introversion as part of their, um, you know, part of their their experience, then you're not just helping the, that neurodiverse population, you're also helping the people in your organization who are introverts, even though they don't fall into that Neurodiverse category. So many of the things, and that's one of the reasons why we've had a hard time getting neurodiversity taken seriously because things like, oh, um, I'm a little forgetful, you know, or sometimes I have a hard time paying attention or, you know, I get distracted. Everybody has these things sometimes. What people don't realize is for some people, this controls their whole life. Whereas for you, it may just be something that comes up every now and again. So they don't understand the severity that some of these things have, you know, for for other people. Um, but the good thing about it is knowing that everybody has some of these tendencies and some of these traits means that we're not just looking to, uh, you know, to change the world for this thirty percent. We're looking to to change things for everybody because everybody can benefit from some element of taking into consideration these neurodiverse learners. And you're exactly right. You know, people with neurodiversity, because their brains process information differently, they can drive innovation. They can see solutions that other people will never see. Um, you know, they're characterized by areas of extreme strength and extreme difficulty. So somebody may be really, really good at um, math. is a very common one that, that people think of. Maybe really good at math but really, you know, have difficulty with um, with maybe working memory. So if you can help them, you know, through the working memory challenge, then you get the advantage of them being amazing with, with Mac. So you hmm. get this benefit of these spikes in, um, in what they're able to contribute. And what's really sad is that in this number, um, you'll see variations on this number, but it is Fairly well accepted that 86% of autistic people are unemployed, which means 86% of people like me yeah. don't have jobs right now, and a lot of that has to do with the interview process.
0: Right. They have
1: a hard time getting through, even you know, getting into the door or the job, you know, the job listings, um, and so if we can correct for those you know, there, there's some things that we can do that can really, really help. And when you're looking, especially in tech, or when you're looking at the great resignation, yeah. the fact that there's this talent pool out there. And,
0: and they've got a lot of skills and intelligence, right? Yeah. It's just that they can't get past that interview process is not made for them.
1: You're missing the boat. Companies are missing the boat if they're not taking advantage of these, these populations. Um, and it does require change and support and training you know in a way that um, supports them but it's so well worth it that to me it is baffling that any company would make a decision where no this isn't something that we want to we want to tackle the other uh, mistake companies make is they think oh it's covered it's already covered in our we have disability training like it's Mm. it's covered under disabilities well Not really, Um, you know, very, very infrequently is it given the attention that it would need within um, just a disability capacity. Uh, And you got to have somebody who is neurodiverse and is familiar with that experience to really, um, you know, to really bring these these programs to life. So um, it's it's something that we're going to see more of in the next 10 years, I think. Um, But the smart companies are the ones that are taking advantage of it now.
0: Definitely there's always those progressive companies who are diving in and and looking for ways to take advantage of this and, and help people. You mentioned autism as an example, people who might struggle with the interview process. and, And you said that you yourself were diagnosed with autism at 39 and you were pretty high on that scale. And I know autism has a wide range and spectrum, and it also is identified differently in men versus women. I think you were the one that told me that when we talked recently I'm curious for myself and listeners who find themselves in a situation like me, if you can kind of explain a little more, like, what does that mean to be autistic? How, what are the big differences between how you operate and, you know, the rest of society, typical people, if yeah. you will, the way you understand it? Because, you know, I think we hear that and think, oh, you know, Rain Man or something can't really mm-hmm. like understand. Or Sheldon
1: Cooper, that's the other one. That's right, the, the yeah, and one. like mm-hmm.
0: maybe great at math, but like can't connect with people emotionally, but you and I have had multiple conversations on Zoom. We we joke around together like I, I wouldn't have even known. Mm-hmm. Can you I know, tell I know you a your... secret
1: about those conversations? Tell me. So right now I'm smiling, right? Yes. I don't naturally do that. Hmm. I have to think about that. I know I should smile because that's what you do when you are in a conversation with somebody and you want to show that you are interested in that conversation, you smile. Huh. Um, in order to make eye contact, there's a seven-step process I follow to make eye contact um that you know you need to make it because you eye contact is very uh peculiar in that if you do it too much that's bad but if you do it not enough also bad so naturally if if this were just me i wouldn't be smiling i wouldn't be making eye contact i would be probably looking either at my phone or like some kind of fidget Toy, or I'd be looking at the window, Hmm. I would still be engaged and listening and having a conversation. But I know that socially, in order to be engaged, I need to face this direction. I need to nod my head. I need to smile. I need to make eye contact. That's a process called masking, which Hmm. is taking on learned behaviors to fit in. With what neurotypical people expect in terms of a social interaction. I'm pretty good at it. You and are. a lot of corporate people, I mean, by the time you've been in corporate America for 20, 30 years, you're probably pretty good at it. It's mm. exhausting. That's why I don't take meetings past four because doing this all day
0: yeah. is exhausting. But is it, I can is do it, it harder working remotely and being on Zoom all day, or is it harder I being in it. the office? Oh, okay. This has
1: been life changing for me because. I used to get to the office an hour or two early every day so I could get my work done. Because once people started showing up and I had to focus on those interpersonal interactions, I couldn't get work done. So working from home, though, I can I'm so much more. Productive. Now, I still love facilitating and I still love training. And I think that's important to know. You mentioned there's this idea of autistic people. You wouldn't necessarily think, oh, somebody who has autism would be an amazing facilitator. Right. Um, And that's because, you know, if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. Right. It is such a spectrum. And again, it's that spiky profile, right? The areas of extreme strength and extreme difficulty. Mm. One of my extreme strengths is my verbal ability. And that is a common experience with a lot of women is they have a strong verbal ability, which has hidden their difficulties from the time they were children. That's one of the reasons why you see diagnoses more in boys and men than women and girls is because this verbal ability tends to hide the challenges they may be having because how could somebody have a disability that affects communication and speak like I speak? It doesn't make sense.
0: Right. Whereas boys and men struggle a lot more with that. They don't mask it as much and it's identified a lot earlier. Something's going on with this boy. He should be tested Mm -hmm. for autism. Whereas a girl, maybe her communication is a little off, but she communicates fine.
1: Yeah. Or she communicates better than most people Mm. and she reads a lot and she's a leader the reason she's a leader is because she has to control that social situation to be able to function in it, because if if the situation isn't within her control, she doesn't know how to react to people. I mean, girls, you know, there tend to be challenges with um, being able to make and maintain friendships, which is something that, like, I can honestly say I don't have friends. I'm okay with that. Like, I'm really okay. But I tend to honestly I thought forget, we were
0: friends, Jessica. What's going well, on? Well here's
1: the thing. Like when you and I interact, it's sure. great. And when yeah. I've got time on the calendar, but when I am not thinking about work, I don't think about mm. people. Like keeping those relationships ongoing, it just doesn't right. It just doesn't work. It doesn't occur to me, you know, somehow. And so and again, these are generalizations. This is my experience. Sure. Um, but my experience is common among Females, but you know, and and it's funny because a lot of these things that autistic women are often challenged with are the exact things that we expect women to be able to do in a professional. We expect them to be nurturing. We expect them to have high EQ. We expect them to take on these behaviors that, if you look at a job description, it's not in there. But these personality things we expect, and so when we're evaluating somebody's performance, we're not just looking at the job description. We're yeah. looking at those personality elements mm-hmm. that we are. It's like, I always say that it's like 50 years ago, a bunch of white men got into a room and said, here's what a professional person looks like and sounds like, right. here's how they react to things. And anybody who doesn't fit into that mold is not professional, not promotable.
0: I think that and is what happened.
1: Yeah, right? They Yeah, they were all old. They were, you know, I just pictured they were, you know, white hair, suits. 50s, suits. yeah. Yeah, it was... It was not a fun group, but it really hurts people because just think of an interview, right? We expect Mm -hmm. that somebody's going to have a good handshake, make eye contact, they're Mm -hmm. going to ask questions. All of those things are social constructs. None of those things have anything to do with how well you're going to do on the job or how well you're hiring a
0: software programmer or software developer or something like you don't need them to have a firm handshake and look for like just get your coding done, right?
1: No, but those are basic requirements. Yeah, you know, we write job descriptions that say things like, oh, we need a superstar self starter, who's going to be a rock star, like to an autistic person um, who has who thinks very literally. Well, what does that even mean like those aren't words that even make sense like that so they're not going to apply for that job, why would they apply right. for that job that doesn't, right. you know, so not we, lose people. Fact, we lose people so early and every turn and it has nothing to do with performance, it has everything to do with social expectation and to bring it back to L&D if I'm training what do I expect my learners to do? I expect them to have their cameras on in a virtual environment. I expect them to be focused and look at me. I expect them to, when I say put something in a chat pod, I expect them to jump on it. I put them into breakout rooms where I expect them to have instant conversations with people they've never met. I throw a workbook up at them. I mean, all of these things that I am doing to help engage my learners can be detrimental to a decent amount of my audience. If I'm in person, you know, I mean, if I had somebody who was in person in my training and who didn't want to introduce themselves and who didn't want to role play in front of everybody and who was just looking out the window, I would say, well, that person is not engaged yeah. when really that person is doing what they need to do to learn. So, you know, again, it's, it's we put these expectations and these biases ahead of our true intent, which is to help people learn and grow. And we don't do it intentionally. It's a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding and a lack of resources um, right now, which is, uh, which makes it tough, which makes it tough.
0: Yeah, that's what this interview is all about. It's raising awareness and educating people and and all the work that you're doing, because people don't know until we educate them on that. I'm learning a lot here. So you mentioned that a lot, a high percentage of autistic Individuals are unemployed right now. And one of the big reasons is that interview process we mentioned. But there's a lot of talent out there, especially if you're you're looking for jobs, like we mentioned, like maybe it's a coder or something that's more math based that people might be well suited for, but they just can't get past that shaking the hand, look people in the eyes. Process. And, And I'm also thinking, you know, you mentioned that you have learned to smile and make eye contact, which is why we've had, you know, some quote normal conversations. But I'm gonna guess assume that. Like 26-year-old Jessica wasn't really doing that or didn't know that yet, right? And so when you're early in your career, it's almost impossible to get, be successful in these situations. So how can we account for this? How can we recruit more neurodiverse Mm -hmm. talent to our
1: companies? Yeah. So there are some organizations that have specific neurodiversity recruiting programs. So um, Bank of America, Microsoft, IBM, Virgin, a, a lot of these companies have specific... Hiring, you know, and and what it entails is things like, again, job descriptions, interviews, training recruiters and hiring managers on how to interview. But some companies, I think, really miss the boat when they institute neurodiversity recruiting first without thinking about support. For their employees that are neurodiverse. Um, a lot of what happens when companies want to support their neurodiverse employees is they end up giving a lot of resources to parents of neurodiverse kids, which is great. But the difference between being a neurodiverse 40 year old and being a neurodiverse, you know, a parent of a neurodiverse child is, I mean, it's it, it, the two barely have anything to do with one another. So I would advise companies to start with supporting your neurodiverse staff, which includes learning and development, and then work to a recruiting uh, recruiting program, because otherwise you're going to get people in the door and they're going to fail because they are not going to be living up to these unstated expectations that they're teams have of them. Um, They're not going to be able to learn the things they need to learn, you know, so we can't just focus on getting people in the door. We need to focus on supporting those employees all throughout their life cycle, and a lot of that includes manager education, colleague education, and providing resources for the neurodiverse employees, like um, places where they can go to have quiet work time, you know, accepting the fact that they need to stim, which is some type of generally physical manifestation of energy that they need to, um, they need to be able to employ or express. Definitely there should be neurodiverse community, um, that is by neurodiverse people for neurodiverse people. um, because it's so big, like the experience of being neurodiverse is so big. I genuinely don't know how somebody who isn't neurodiverse can fathom it. You know, I could talk to you for hours about all of the systems and things that being neurodiverse effects. I can take you through a day in the life of a dyslexic person that would blow your mind. Mm. And so unless you have firsthand knowledge of that or intense experience, you should not be creating neurodiversity programming, right? You know, but it's important. It's, it's so important because these people can be your most brilliant. I mean, if you think of um, Richard Branson, um, Elon Musk, regardless of what you think about him, Anthony Hopkins—you know, the actor. Like hmm. when you think of people who are neurodiverse out in society, these are people who have accomplished great things. Yeah. Don't you want to hire people who would accomplish great things?
0: I think everybody so would. You know, yeah, a lot of companies would like to have an Elon Musk somewhere, uh, and it, 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 it's pretty maybe clear. Maybe not near a
1: microphone. Maybe not near a microphone. But other right. than that, an Elon Musk or two would be great. And and when you think about from again from an LND perspective, a lot of the a lot of what people are trying to do is they think, oh well, because there's a lot of resources for neurodiverse children, so they say, oh, I'll take this neurodiverse information, you know, for how to train a, a, a you know second grader to do an activity, and I will apply this to my corporate training. Well, mm. then think about if you're doing that and think you could have Richard Branson and Elon Musk sitting in your training. How well do you think? That strategy is, is going to work from an engagement perspective. And um, and so we really need to we, we really just need to get, to decide that this is something that we are going to take on and develop and be committed to, even though it means a lot of the stuff that we've done for a long time, we're gonna have to change a little bit. We might need and to that make that is changes. not easy. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah we may need to make some changes and to your point, it, it seems obvious, and yet it's not always that if you're going to create a more neurodiverse friendly culture or neurodiversity training, that you need to have somebody involved who comes from a neurodiverse background, right, who understands that the same as I wouldn't dare to create training for black women on mm-hmm. how to be successful in the workplace, right? I mean, you That's want a good somebody idea.
1: To... You should <laughs> lean into that instinct. That's good. Um, it's <laughs> right. like when I go would go to these sales panels, like of like right. how to be a successful woman in sales. It would all be men, right. you know. So, yeah. but I think what happens, especially when you look at neurodiversity as disability, one a couple things happen. One is people think disability. Okay, well, we've got this program for you know you know somebody's in a wheelchair. You should have wheelchair accessible spaces for them hmm. and. Therefore, this is covered, again. um, You also then, on the other side of that, is how, is it really a disability? Is it really disabilitating? So how much do they really need? Again, if these are people who they don't seem disabled, then do they really need that support? And there's this element that people have of, oh, everybody's a little autistic. Everybody's a little ADHD. You hear people say like, oh yeah, I'm just totally OCD about whatever it is. Um, And comments like that really hurt the community because again, even though a lot of people have traits that are similar to what neurodiverse people have, they don't have, it doesn't rise to the the life experience by, you know, a long shot. But what it does do is it, it makes it seem normal that everybody has these tendencies so it doesn't require special attention. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of things that um, that go go into it. But what's happening now is, first of all, we're getting the first groups of kids who were diagnosed as children are becoming working professionals, which is terrifying because it means I'm old. And I don't love that, but I'm, I'm dealing with it. The second thing is now you have more and more adults that are getting diagnosed. Um, you know, adults who their whole life, they've known something is different yeah, something's wrong. They don't know what, and then they're starting to find each other on social media. There's a very thriving community on TikTok, um, for example, that causes a lot of people to watch these videos and go, "That's me," mm-hmm. and then they they get a diagnosis. So um, the numbers of neurodiverse people are going to explode for a variety of reasons. And this is gonna be something that eventually everybody's gonna to have to reckon with. It's just a question of, do you do it proactively or do you do it reactively when you're already, you know, behind in the game?
0: Yeah, I mean, you're, you said 30% of the population. I mean, we're, we're talking about like a billion people in the world. That's a, mm-hmm. lot, of, a lot of people, at least, who have, are on some level neurodiverse. I, the last thing I wanted to ask about, you, we've talked about autism. You mentioned you were also diagnosed with ADHD. That's one that people hear more commonly, right? A lot of people get diagnosed. A lot of kids get diagnosed with ADHD. I sometimes wonder, and maybe you have an opinion on this, if that diagnosis is more helpful or harmful because it puts attention on that. And then there's medication and all these things. But at the same time, I know because similar to the workplace, school is set up in a certain way, right? And it's not set up for those who are neurodiverse, especially with ADHD, but there's probably a lot of people in the workforce with ADHD trying to overcome that to focus and get things done. How can we better account for them?
1: Yeah, so there's three different types of ADHD, right? There's uh, the hyperactive presentation, there's the inattentive presentation, and then there's a combined presentation. And it's important to know that because, again, that means ADHD, which is one of the more commonly known conditions, actually presents itself in three different ways. And most people don't know that. So, again, we have to start from this place of we need more education. Um, it is hugely beneficial for children to be diagnosed because um, a lot of what happens with ADHD, we call it the gifted kid syndrome, where, you know, you, you're super smart, but you can't study. You can't Mm. do homework. You know, you can spend hours focused on a video game, but can't be focused to do a science project. And so without knowing why these things happen, then it just makes it so this kid is smart, but bad. Mm. And, you know, there's all this potential that they don't live up to. And um, ADHD medication is some of the most efficacious medication in, you know, in in all of um, medicine. Mm. And so they're incredibly, incredibly life changing medications available, because what ADHD is, is a dopamine deficiency. It's a chemical deficiency in your brain. Um, And so I think that, yes, more children are being diagnosed. I think that's great because it means it's being recognized in all of its forms when it didn't used to be. It's also being recognized in girls when it didn't used to be. Um, And then you're able to make adjustments to the way that Information is presented and learned to this child so that they are able to do two things. One, learn all the things they need to learn, but two, I call it hacking your brain, figuring out how to work with the highs and the lows of whatever neurodiversity that you have to be successful. Um, And uh, I think I, I wish, I don't wish I wasn't neurodiverse because all of the most of the bad things in my life that have ever happened to me have been because I'm neurodiverse, but also all of the best things in my life are because I'm neurodiverse. Hmm. I do wish I was diagnosed as a child instead of as an adult um, because, you know, to me, there was so much I didn't know. There was so much I didn't understand.
0: I'm sure there was a lot of frustration by you, by your parents, by teachers, not understanding what was
1: going on. Yeah. You know, so I think it's great that more children are being diagnosed. I think it's great. More adults are getting diagnosed. And I think you know, as a society, the sooner we learn that, hey, we shouldn't have these expectations of everybody, then the better off we're going to be. So it's important. Well,
0: Jessica, this has been very educational and and eye-opening, and I'm so glad that you're here to educate us so that we can be more accommodating, recruiting the right, you know, more of neurodiverse population, working with, providing better accommodations, better culture, for a neurodiverse population, and I want to just ask you, finally, for people listening who want to get in touch with you, maybe to learn more about this work and and possibly utilize your services, uh, where's the best place for them to go?
1: Yeah, so it's uh, my website is www.ndworkcoach. So that's N is in neurodiverse, D is in neurodiverse ndworkcoach.com. My email is ndworkcoach at gmail.com. I'm working on resources right now specifically for corporate instructional design. So super excited about e-learning and in-person and virtual facilitation. So um, definitely reach out.
0: That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Jessica. I appreciate you being here. Hang around because i got a few more questions for you that we're going to ask for you in our bonus round. For right. those listening, hope you took lots of notes. You got a lot out of this. Make sure that you, if you have questions, reach out to Jessica, reach out to, to me and let's keep this conversation going. Thanks again for being here, Jessica. Mm-hmm. All right. That's going to do it for my conversation with Jessica Michaels, all about neurodiversity. I hope that you had some great takeaways from that. Did you learn something? What are you going to do differently now? Are there is there a way to possibly reach out and recruit people with a neurodiverse backgrounds is it possible to better accommodate those who are neurodiverse in your next training program or at least find out who is so that you can better accommodate them i'm definitely going to keep this in the back of my mind as i'm running trainings in the future and look out for people who might be learning differently so that we can accommodate them and make sure that we are being inclusive and and everybody is able to learn so thank you again for listening i really appreciate it i hope you got a lot from this and i want to remind you again of course Our podcast is sponsored by the Talent Development Think Tank membership community. I started this community back in June of 2020 after the pandemic began because I had run a very successful conference with my friend Bennett Phillips called the Talent Development Think Tank. It was in Sonoma, California, and we had over 150 people there. It was sold out. We had great speakers like Josh Burson and Liz Weissman and many others When the pandemic hit, I knew that we needed to find a way to keep people connected in the talent development world when they're not really able to meet up for conferences anymore. And that's when the Talent Development Think Tank community was born. It's been growing since then. We've had dozens and dozens of really great guest speakers come through. We have over 100 members now, and they're sharing things and asking questions and supporting each other on a regular basis. Really great people. Absolutely no jerks in the group, just kind, generous, wonderful people who are into helping each other, much like what we had at the conference. Uh, I absolutely love the community that we've built. And if you're in talent development, learning and development, and you're interested in connecting with others in that space and investing in yourself and your own career and helping doing things, learning things that can help you do your job better, please come join us. Our website is tdtt.us. You can enter code when you sign up. Uh, You can sign up and pay monthly or for the year. No other commitments. And you can use code HOTSEAT, H-O-T-S-E-A-T, to get 10% off for being a podcast listener. So thank you again, and make sure you check that out if you haven't joined. And our podcast is also sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the absolute best professional services firm out there when you are looking for creative learning solutions to help your leaders lead, your sellers sell, and your people do the best work of their lives. The Advantage is also not only the sponsor, but they host our podcast website as well. So if you go to talentdevelopmenthotseat.com, you will see our podcast website, and you'll see the Advantage logo on the top. You can click on About. You can click on Stories and read case studies and stories, solutions to see all the things that Advantage offers. And I was a partner at Advantage for two years, selling and running many of the solutions there, including Multipliers, which is based on the book by Liz Weissman. And there's so many great solutions there. Absolutely love it. And we appreciate our partnership with Advantage. And I appreciate you listening to this podcast, and I hope that it's helping you level up your game and talent development. And I want you to remember that I know there's a lot of things going on in the world that work is probably busier than it's ever been. The economy is exploding and there's a lot of stuff to do, but you've got to make time for yourself. You've got to make time for your learning and development. You've got to make time to connect with other people because those are the things that are going to pay off for you in the future. So whether that's taking an online course, getting on LinkedIn for a couple hours a week, joining a membership community where you can connect with others, meeting with people to learn about what they're working on. Just make sure you're doing some of those things on a regular basis. I'm doing that as well, despite all the things I'm working on. And I want to encourage you to do that too. Make sure you take care of yourself and take care of your career because nobody else cares more about your career than you do. So you've got to own it. All right. Thank you again for listening, friends. And I will see you next time. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat.